Hi, you're listening to iiPod, the official podcast of the Duke Lemur Center in Durham, North Carolina. I'm Matt Bortz, Curator of Fossils at the Duke Lemur Center. And I'm Megan McGrath, Education Programs Manager at the Duke Lemur Center. Hi, Megan. Hi, Matt. So today on iiPod, we are joined by an incredible Malagasy researcher. In a 2010 CNN profile, she was dubbed the Lemur Lady, but she is also known as... Uh, long name, Pantanirina. Rasamimanana, Rosian, but everybody calls me Hanta. Hanta grew up on the high plateau of Madagascar. After studying abroad, a series of events led her to the study of lemurs in her homeland. She is now a professor at École Normale Supérieure, the teacher's training arm of the University of Antananarive in the capital of Madagascar. There, I teach um, future high school teacher. And... I am doing some researches in education and in primatology. Being a scientist and a primatologist combined with being an educator of educators and using that um, to help both in conservation and also help in people's livelihoods is a really fascinating way to combine the experience you have, which is vast. <laughs> We try to, to make students feel uh, good when they are learning. We call that active learning, active teaching, but it's still in the beginning. I have 24 students I taught who teach this way also. With my 24, they will have their 24 and and so on. Over the years, Hanta has not only brought dozens of teachers to Malagasy classrooms, she's also mentored doctoral candidates and supervised their research in the field, studying lemurs in situ or where they live in the wild. Hanta has also written textbooks about lemurs as well as children's books about conservation, and she goes into the field each year for an annual census of ring-tailed lemurs. So I asked her, how do you count lemurs in the wild? We do the census for two months every day. And uh, retail they are territorial, so we come with uh, uh, GPS. So we draw the territory and we have a marker anymore in the troop. A female, a male, we, and we know them. So we just go to the territory where they are so we look for them if we don't find them we come back again we come back again and again until we discover them in two months we are sure we get everybody they've learned that it's helpful to name the lemurs i gave a name to my troop so i can recognize them easily this work in the field has led her students to many other research questions Currently, I am supervising 2,000 PhD students. Some of them are doing some research on lemurs, on different species of lemurs in Madagascar. And uh, some also are doing some research about education in Madagascar. The research these PhD candidates are doing will help develop Madagascar's educational programs. But Hanta hasn't stopped there. 16 years ago, she developed her own non-governmental organization, or NGO. Its name roughly translates to Good for the Community. 
This NGO that she set up with her former and current students now involves about 30 people in Madagascar. Together, they look for ways to further what we would call out-of-the-box thinking. Our mission is to educate people, not only students, not only children, people about conservation in general and the sustainable development. Our mission is to help the local people in the surrounding communities create income-generating activities. As Hanta explained to us, these activities can be something like learning how to preserve fruit by drying it into fruit leathers or by making jam. She's also particularly excited about how art and creativity can be used to involve the community in more sustainable economic efforts. Community-based conservation is critical to lasting and sustainable change, which is why it's a huge focus for the Duke Lemur Center's Madagascar programs and for Hanta. Hanta's journey to her research, her teaching, and her conservation efforts began in a surprising way, because as a child... I didn't like animals. I was afraid of chicken. I didn't have uh, cats. We didn't have dogs. The oldest of seven children, Hanta had learned dressmaking and embroidery at her mother's insistence, but Hanta's mother knew that Hanta had ambitions for something else. She just didn't know what. Hanta earned a science diploma at the first high school for girls in Madagascar, and then at 18, she earned a spot in an international goodwill program operated by the Soviet Union. She thought she would study biology there as she learned Russian and English on top of the Malagasy and French languages she had already mastered. Once in Moscow, the program required the students from several developing countries to work along with their studies. So working with a veterinarian staff was out since she was still afraid of animals, and she didn't want to dig potatoes. So she concentrated on animal husbandry. So feeding animals, learning to milk cows, and how to shear sheep. When I went to the to Russia to study animal husbandry, only there I love animals. After seven years of training in Moscow, and with her family now living in France, Hanta still wanted to go back to Madagascar. In the early 1970s, she got a job at a small zoo in Antananarive, met her husband, and began caring for lemurs in captivity. A lot of our audience right now is folks from the West, and I think the main way they might know about you, there's probably two main ways, and one is from Alison Jolly's book, Lords and Lemurs, which you feature in. You have a fantastic backstory in that book, and also from Island of the Lemurs, the IMAX movie that many people here in the United States have seen. But I think those only touch the surface of your career, so could you tell us a little bit about how how you got started yes so it was um 40 years ago when i had my twins i worked at the zoo uh, in antananarivo and uh, we were assigned to a company foreigner scientist so it was alison jolly alison jolly was an american primatologist who's coming to madagascar at the head of an earthwatch team so I had to go with her. But before Alison Jolie's arrival, I already accompanied some television team to the forest to look for lemurs. So uh, we, we had to follow the lemurs 
to to look really at them because with the television team it, it was not really studying lemurs not really studying the behavior but just to look at them and filming and that's it for two days but with the earth watchers uh, i stayed there for 15 days so every day we have to follow i fell in love with the lemurs and i um, i like the way to do that because i think uh, i had already this uh, scientific way of life to always to to check to verify what is going on and uh, i was very curious about all that i was really fascinated about them so i didn't uh, realize that it will be raining and uh, it is dangerous to be in the forest uh, i didn't realize that but i was and uh, and as alison said you have to stick with your troop so i was there <laughs> not uh, taking care about the rain coming hanto earned a phd from the musee d'histoire naturelle or museum of natural history in paris and she put those experiences to work with jolly in the forests of her homeland it began a decades long pursuit of field work sometimes involving her whole family there's still a kind of romance for hanto when she goes out into the field i still go to the forest for that because very curious about uh, what uh, what kind of lemurs what kind of behavior what they are eating like that what lemurs have you worked with or observed uh, in the wild ah so except the ringtail shifak the mouse lemurs um lippy lemurs uh white-footed uh, mm-hmm. there's so many different kinds of lemurs but you and Alison Jolly did a lot of work with ringtail lemurs in particular and even wrote books about them So would you say that most of your work has been with ring-tailed lemurs? Yes. Yeah, you you literally wrote the book. <laughs> yes. Uh ring-tails I spent all my time. What do you think of as the most prominent traits that make a ring-tail different from every other lemur that you've studied or observed? First of all, the female dominance. It's very very obvious. Mm-hmm. when you look at them it's very special because they are in a big troop so there are many females there and they really behave uh, very uh, it, it, it's sharp to see the the way they chase the males and how the males are submissive when they are feeding if she is there no males around and even the the male say oh excuse me i'm here i don't have to be here <laughs> it's like that whether at the duke lemur center or in the field each lemur troop has its own story and some of those stories would honestly be right at home on a soap opera when uh i followed my troop for my phd there was one female the first the first time she will have a baby so she had a baby uh, and she was the the sister of the, of the dominant female she was the sister 
So she was not really the dominant and not the submissive, but she didn't really take care of her baby when the baby was about one month. So when the two mothers were together, the baby jumped to the, the aunt, uh, who is the, the, the dominant female. The baby switched to the, to the aunt, then she left. She went away, leaving her baby with her sister. Hmm. So she went there, far, far, far away. Then after 20 minutes, she comes back. She came back. Like uh, there is nothing uh, wrong. She did nothing wrong. Then she came to her sister. The sister slept her. <laughs> Every year to, to, to do the census, we have to be there. Every day, there is always something to say, to tell about their behavior. You could have your own soap opera about every single troop because it gets so complicated as new lemurs are born and females are kicked out. A lot of people think of ringtail lemurs as these cute, cuddly little things. And we have to explain, no, they're, they're not very nice to each other sometimes in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> Much of what we've learned about lemurs in the wild comes from being able to study them on preserves, far from human activity. Berenti is one of those places in Madagascar. It was originally a mining town, but in the 1920s, before any of the more famous preserves in continental Africa existed, it was set up as a wilderness conservation area. Hanta has studied that habitat through a 1991 famine, terrible storm in 1999 that destroyed acres of trees, and now as we emerge from the worldwide COVID pandemic. It's still very attractive, very beautiful, because we work together. So we tell them what to do with the lemurs, what to do with the forest. They are doing the things are getting like natural. The pandemic also, there were no tourists at all. The, the animals become a little bit wilder than before. Very hard to find them. It can look very scary for yeah. many animals in the world, but especially lemurs as the most endangered primates. And, you know, people ask, is there any point? And, you know, we say, of course, of course there's a point. But it can look very scary. The question is, should we give up? I say, no, we don't have to give up. But we have to do what we have to do. And you have certainly shown us how to do that with your career, Hanta. From your university classroom to your NGO, your field work and research papers, and even in the children's books you wrote with Alice and Jolly. You've really shown that there are so many ways to raise awareness and work with communities on conservation efforts. All of this really makes a difference for those ring-tailed lemurs that we know and love so much. We'd like to thank Hanta for being a part of iiPod. We also hope to check in with her again as she continues to develop her incredible work in Madagascar. Thanks for joining us on this Duke Lemur Center journey. Subscribe and discover more episodes each season. We look forward to sharing more about the Duke Lemur Center with you soon. And in the meantime, follow us on social media and visit us at lemur.duke.edu. A special thanks to Julie Bortz who edited this episode. And thank you and goodbye for now. From Matt, 
and Megan, and all the primates at the Duke Lemur Center. <laughs>